Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lesher here with you. Awesome to have you back, and welcome to all those new listeners who have been downloading the podcast. Hope you're getting into it. And as ever, we do like to get your feedback, Podcast at amazon.com. And if you want to take the time to jump over to iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and give us a review or some comments, it is always gladly, gladly I should say, received. Now, we've got a big episode today because I'm going to try and cover a whole bunch of updates that have been happening. And the list is long and varied and quite interesting. And hopefully there'll be something for everyone. Now, I'll let you know in advance. I'm not going to go into super detail in many of these things. I'll pick a few here and there to really dive deep on. But all of these are available in the What's New page at aws.amazon.com. So you can dive into as much detail as you like. Hopefully, this gives you a bit of a taste of what's out there. Speaking of taste, uh, I'm halfway through my first coffee of the day, and I'm often uh, telling the virtues of the Melbourne coffee culture that we have here. And a few people have asked, well, you know, what coffee do you drink? Um, so, of course, being a true Melbourneian, I have a special mix that I use, which is actually called by my local coffee roaster, the Italian job. And the Italian job is made up of 50% Vietnam polished Robusta, uh, 25% Brazil yellow bourbon, and the other 25% is New Guinean Peaberry. Now, this makes for a very strong brew, uh, which is ground from fresh beans every morning and brewed in a French press, uh, best enjoyed with a dash of milk. So if you like a good robust coffee, that's one to go for. But enough of coffee and more about technology. The first update to share is one to the Lambda console. Now, I've become a huge fan of AWS Lambda. It makes it very quick and easy to build stuff. And I was happily about to build some stuff the other day and jumped into the console and, hey, presto, it looked completely different. Uh, so well done to the team because they have now made it easy to create, configure, and test Lambda functions. So what are some of the changes besides some of the aesthetics, which I think look much nicer. Um, now you can save up to 10 test events for each Lambda function, and you can access these saved events from any machine or browser using the console. So previously you were limited to one test event per account, and you had to use the same browser on the same machine to get the saved test event. So it's a much nicer experience. The enhanced console also lets you create functions more quickly. Uh, so you can just get away with supplying the function name and the execution role and everything else will kind of default for you. So it's a much nicer experience as well. So definitely uh, something to jump into if you haven't used that console for a little while. Now would probably be a good time to do it. But if uh, containers are more your thing, uh, then some good news for you around the Amazon EC2 Container Registry or Amazon ECR. You can now create rules to automate image cleanup across your ECR repositories. Now, as anyone who uses containers knows, um, you'll have one container, you'll have two containers, then you'll have 20, 30, and on and on it goes. Um, it means it can be difficult to find specific code changes that actually were important. And also there's storage costs involved as well. Now, in the past, you would have to manually clean this up. Now, you don't have to. Uh, you can set lifecycle policies to define a set of rules to automatically remove container images. The nice thing is, is you can preview these rules to see which container images will be affected when the rules run. So this makes means you can have a more efficient repository and a lower cost and well-groomed repository, which is nice, gives you a nice feeling of being cleansed whilst deploying your containers. Some other nice things that uh, can help make your day a little bit easier. Um, AWS Elastic Beanstalk now allows you to update tags in uh, running Beanstalk stacks, so you can make changes when you need to, which is nice if you're heavy on the tags. And it's good use to use tags to keep track of your environment. You'll find uh, things scale up very quickly, and tags make it much easier to find what's going on. 
However, if you're an Amazon LightSail user, remember Amazon LightSail is a nice, easy way to get into some very common use cases, hosting websites, content management systems, etc. They spin up very quickly. They're very low cost. Um, they were all built previously on sort of Linux-based uh, operating systems. Now there is Windows Server for Amazon LightSail. So if your uh, environment demands the use of Windows, uh, you can go ahead and use that in Amazon LightSail now as well. If you're an EC2 Spot user, and it is one of my favorite services because it does so many cool things, you can now encrypt your EBS volumes at launch time. So this means you can spin up an instance, grab your volume and encrypt it on demand as you get access to that spot capacity. So this is really useful for those uh, use cases where you want to keep the content of data encrypted for those spot instances. You can now do that at boot time as well. AWS Batches and other services had a number of updates, and one of them is that you can now send job changes to CloudWatch events. So this means when things are changing in AWS Batch, now remembering AWS Batch lets you manage large sets of different uh, EC2 instances, etc., to maintain really large control over long-running jobs, you can now see what some of those state changes are happening within AWS Batch. And of course, using CloudWatch events, you can make changes or take action in your environment as you so fit. So this means that you have a very flexible environment that lets you to do what you need to do in an automated fashion. And more automation is usually better when it comes to running things at scale. Now, many of you are long-term users of Amazon EC2, and you'll know that we constantly grow and change the families of EC2 instances to keep them up-to-date and modern. In fact, one of the nice things about using EC2 is you can always be on the most modern hardware with a, a trivial click of the mouse. So one of the new instance types we have is the Amazon EC2 P3 instances. And these are the next generation of our compute-optimized GPU instances. P3 instances have up to eight of the latest generation NVIDIA Tesla V100 GPUs. And these are specifically designed for advanced workloads like machine learning, high-performance computing, data compression, and cryptography. Of course, you can run your website on it, but uh, these are kind of the applications that make much more sense. Video processing is, of course, another one. Now, you can get uh, up to 64 vCPUs, and these are using custom Intel E5 processors, up to 488 gig of RAM, and up to 25 gig of aggregate network bandwidth using the Elastic Network Adapter technology. So this gives you a fair bit of processing power. Now, there's lots of measures of processing power, so I'll just kind of throw out some to give you an idea of, of uh what they are. Um, so each of the Tesla V100 GPUs give you 125 teraflops of mixed precision performance or 15.7 teraflops of single precision performance and 7.8 teraflops of double precision performance. And this is because each of those GPUs has 5,120 CUDA cores and 640 tensor cores. It also provides a 300 gig NVLink hypermesh interconnect, which means you have GPU to GPU communication at high speed and low latency. What does this mean in practicality? Well, basically for machine learning applications, your P3 instances will give you up to 14 times performance improvement over P2 instances. This means you're training machine learning models in hours instead of days, and it means you can get to market quicker. And these days, time to market is one of the most important uh, measures. So check out the new P3 instances if this is the type of processing you want to do. Uh, very cost-effective and very time-effective method of processing. Now, the next item falls more in the category of be aware of an update to come rather than an actual update that has already taken place. Uh, and this is around the certificate authority that many of the Amazon services use. Now, 
AWS has been offering free certificates to AWS customers from the Amazon Trust Services CA. Now, AWS is in the process of moving certificates for services such as Amazon EC2 and Amazon DynamoDB to use certificates from Amazon Trust Services as well. Now, the good news is most software doesn't need to be changed to handle this transition. However, there can be exceptions. Now, I'm linking to a blog post that was put together by our security team um, to cover how to check that you have that um, root CA covered in your particular environment and how to check browsers and all these other types of things. Um, all modern browsers trust Amazon CA, so you're okay with that, but you can always check, and checking is a good thing. Um, the nice thing is that most AWS SDKs and CLIs are not impacted by the transition. Um, some specific older ones are called out, though, so you can take a look at that as well. Um, so I'll link to the show notes for that particular change, but it is one to bear in mind and a good one to just be across. Now, I know I have a lot of listeners uh, in the Singapore region. I get up there from time to time. Hello to all my Singapore friends. Um, something that happened uh, earlier in October is that Amazon Glacier launched in the Asia-Pacific Singapore region. So now you can use Amazon Glacier to reliably and durably store large or small amounts of data for a very, very low cost with no upfront expense or long-term commitment. Uh, it is a great solution for that data you need to keep, but you're just not sure what you're going to do with it. But you know if you delete it, someone's going to say, hey, I needed that data. So uh, if you're in Singapore, now you can take advantage of it there. Some quick database updates for you as well. Lots going on in the database space. Um, firstly, Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports Oracle SQLT diagnostics tools. So if that's a tool you like to use and you need to run it on your RDS instances, um, it is now available to you. Uh, on the Redshift side of things, so Amazon Redshift, of course, our massively parallel processing database, um, we now have support for the list ag distinct operator, which for a lot of people in the data warehousing space is important. Another one is that is small but nice is support for uppercase column names. Remember uppercase? I remember a time where all there was was uppercase in my day. Uh, so now you can use uppercase column names in Amazon Redshift, which makes a lot of ELT stuff a lot easier. We now offer in Amazon RDS reserve instances, instance size flexibility. So you can make a lot more um, instance size shifts in terms of your operations of RDS. So from a commercial standpoint, that can help you save money. And that's always a good thing. And speaking of more cool RDS stuff that's taken place, uh, RDS for Oracle now supports the new R4, T2 and M4 instance types. So those may be even more suitable to your particular use case. Uh, we now have Amazon Aurora release 1.15 with some great new features and capabilities. If you're an Aurora user, this will be of great interest to you. If you're a MySQL user, um, Amazon RDS now supports MySQL versions 5.5.57, 5.6.37 and 5.7.19. So again, some things have changed there. But back to our friends at Redshift, and they have done something uh, last month that was really exciting, I think, for a lot of Redshift uh, customers, which is they announced support for the dense compute nodes or DC2 nodes with twice the performance as the DC1 nodes at the same price. That's right, twice the performance at the same price. Now, that is pretty darn cool in my book. Um, the nice thing is, is, okay, you can build your new clusters using the new um, DC2 nodes. Now, these are specifically designed for data warehousing workloads that need low latency and high throughput. Uh, they're built on the uh, Intel Broadwell CPUs. They use DDR4 memory. They use NVMe-based uh, SSDs, so all the good stuff. And Amazon Redshift has been tuned to take advantage of these CPU network and disk capabilities and it basically provides up to twice the performance of the DC1s at the same price. 
The other nice thing is that the DC2 8x large instances now provide twice the memory per slice of data and an optimized storage layout so you get 30% better storage utilization. So this is a really nice combination of new hardware improving things but also tweaking the software that's running on the hardware to take the most advantage of it. Now the awesomest news, if that's even a word, is that if you have a DC1 large Amazon Redshift cluster, you can simply restore it to a new DC2 large cluster using an existing snapshot. So how cool is that? You can take your existing data warehouse and say, uh, hey boss, hey stakeholders, we're going to make this nearly twice as fast. Hey presto, and it's done. No change to the bill. That's all kinds of win. Take an early day, have a long weekend. Um, if you need to migrate from DS2X large, DS2 8X large, or DC1 8X large, then use the resize operation to move your data to your new DC2 cluster. And of course, there's all that information is available in the user guide. But this is really exciting for Redshift customers. Um, just such a great way to improve the query performance, optimize everything you're doing without any change to your cost line. Um, I like that. That's a good thing for customers. So moving back to the RDS product line for a lot of uh, customers who use that, one of the great new things that's been announced is general availability of Amazon Aurora with Postgres compatibility or Postgres SQL or however you want to say it. I've never quite figured out the appropriate way. But um, I know that when I talk to about it with customers, they really like that particular database engine. So one of the nice things about Amazon Aurora is it's a fully managed relational database that gives you the performance and availability of commercial databases with the simplicity and cost effectiveness of open source databases. Now, we pre-announced an open preview a while back, and now it is generally available to all customers. Now, the nice thing is that Amazon Aurora with Postgres compatibility provides up to three times better performance than the typical PostgreSQL database. And you get scalability, you get durability, you get security. You can build really large databases that scale very, very effectively at a fraction of the cost of traditional databases. So this is a really great announcement for those people who have been waiting for Postgres support. Um, it's here. Enjoy. <laughs> get to it. Tell me what you built. And as if that wasn't enough for Postgres excited database developers, uh, we are now also announcing the open preview of Performance Insights. Now, Performance Insights is a feature of the Amazon RDS service that helps you quickly assess the load on your database and determine when and where to take action. Uh, it also allows non-experts to kind of easily see problems with a nice visual dashboard that makes it kind of easy. It uses a very lightweight data collection method that doesn't impact the performance of your applications and lets you see which SQL statements are causing the load and why. Doesn't need any configuration, no maintenance, and like I mentioned, it's a free preview for users of the Amazon Aurora Postgres compatible edition. So just get in on there and you can press, <coughs> excuse me, one click to get things going and uh, you can take advantage of it straight away. So let's talk networking. Enough, enough database talk for a little while. Let's talk networking. AWS Direct Connect, which is the way you connect your on-premises infrastructure into AWS cost-effectively and with control over that performance characteristics, is now live in more cities. Vancouver, Manchester, and Perth. Yes, hello, Perth. You have a Direct Connect location now. This means that you can establish a dedicated connect connection from your uh, on-premises infrastructure to AWS. And remember, these can be from one gig all the way up to 10 gig. Or if you need something less than one gig, you can work with a partner and they can give you fractions thereof. 
So this is really exciting and expands the number of cities that have Direct Connect availability. Another exciting piece of news is around Amazon CloudFront. Now, of course, Amazon is uh, CloudFront is our content distribution network. It allows us to do a lot of stuff at the edge, improve application performance, etc. If you're doing anything related to media, objects, uh, customer interaction type stuff, Amazon CloudFront should be a part of your architecture. Now, the great news is, is that we now have 100 points of presence around the globe. Uh, there are sites in 50 cities and 23 countries. Uh, in fact, in the last year, it increased in size by more than 50%, uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, included in some of these additions are nine new cities and four new countries. Um, Berlin, Germany, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Prague in the Czech Republic, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Munich, Germany, Vienna, Austria, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Zurich, Switzerland. So lots of new stuff going on there. So what this means is that you're able to deliver your content much more closely to your users all around the globe, particularly if you're operating a business that has a global audience. You don't have control over what their local networks look like. So the nearer you can get your content to your customers, the better off you are. In fact, the AWS podcast, funnily enough, uses Amazon CloudFront as its distribution method to get these files to you. Uh, it does it in a cost-effective way. It means that hopefully when you're downloading on your podcatcher, you're getting super fast downloads, which is always nice. How are you doing? You're sticking with me? The coffee's kicking in. I think I'm getting there. Uh, there is lots more to go, and I'm looking at the clock, and we're probably nearly 20, at the 20-minute mark, which means we're getting close to the normal end of a podcast, and... We ain't done yet, my friends, let me tell you that. So a few quick updates on the developer side of things. AWS Code Build now publishes its current IP address ranges in JSON format, so you can grab those ranges if you need to use it for uh, managing of firewalls and other cool stuff like that. Um, AWS Code Pipeline Executions now supports push events from AWS Code Commit, so some nice automation that can take place there. And AWS CodeStar integrates with GitHub as well, so if you're a GitHub user, you can take advantage of AWS CodeStar and get uh, all the benefits of that. Also, AWS Code Build now supports alternate build spec file names and locations, so you have even more choice and flexibility than ever before. And if you want to monitor what's going on in your development environment, AWS Config now supports AWS Code Build. So, of course, Config tracks your environment across uh, pre-provisioned rules that you say, hey, here's what compliance looks like, here's what it doesn't look like, take action. You can now bring AWS Code Build into that uh, compliance regime as well. And even more stuff. Now, this is around AWS Glue. AWS Glue now allows you to stop jobs that are running. It seems to be a handy feature. If you have a job that you want to stop, you can now stop it, which is nice, rather than killing it altogether. So it's funny, you know, if I think back to the old days of AWS and the early days of EC2, some of you will remember when the EC2 instance had two states, running or terminated. And this was kind of really hard to process for us who had come from maybe a slightly different world. Um, similar with AWS Glue, you can now stop your AWS Glue job as well. Now let's shift across to security and let's talk about AWS WAF. Uh, AWS WAF, of course, lets you protect against attacks from the scary, scary internets that uh, cause us great deals of problems because there are bad actors out there. So we want to protect our applications and we can use AWS WAF to do that. Now, one of the really exciting new additions is AWS WAF now supports regular expressions or regex. Now, this means you can create far more sophisticated patterns to inspect whilst filtering your web requests. In the past, we had string match conditions. 
regex is a whole next level type of thing in fact anyone i know who who knows and loves regex knows the power that they can wield and the immense uh, benefit they can get from a very few lines of code now once created regex patterns can be reused across multiple aws waf rules so that means you can look for the same expression across different parts of a web request such as header query string or body uh, you can also combine them with other condition types to create even more sophisticated filters so, for example, you can use AWS WAF's built-in SQL injection condition in conjunction with a regex-based condition to look for SQL injection attempts only on URLs with, for example, you know, asta.php while ignoring URLs with asta.jpj. So you can do all these sorts of really cool things because it supports most of the standard Perl-compatible regular, exp- regular expressions. Obviously, that coffee is not kicking in. And uh, away you go. So not much to learn to get a really huge value. So I was pretty chuffed to see that feature available. A little while ago, we talked about AWS Cloud HSM, which is a cloud-based hardware security module or HSM that lets you easily generate and use your own encryption keys on the AWS Cloud. Um, very powerful capability allowing you to scale and integrate in a fully managed way. Uh, typically, uh, hardware security modules have been really hard to manage and quite expensive. This really changes that and allows you to have a really scalable uh, approach this to the problem domain. Now, the good thing is, is that the AWS Cloud HSM is now available in the US West, North California, Canada Central, EU Frankfurt, Asia Pacific Mumbai, Asia Pacific Singapore, Asia Pacific Sydney, and Asia Pacific Tokyo regions in as well as where it was already deployed, which included the North Virginia, Ohio, and Oregon regions as well, as well as Ireland. So more HSM for more people is the answer. If you're not encrypting, why not? You should be. And if you're not using HSM to manage your keys, you might want to reconsider that. The good thing is it's available in a region near you. Now, if your security needs don't expand to the need for HSMs and the like, you might be interested that we have now introduced the AWS Directory Service for Microsoft Active Directory Standard Edition. And this is a managed Microsoft Active Directory that is optimized for small and mid-sized businesses. Um, this means that customers running typical SMB workloads can use AWS Microsoft AD Standard Edition for a really cost-effective, highly available and managed Microsoft AD in the AWS cloud. Uh, you can use it to join EC2 instances into a managed domain. Uh, you can provide single sign-on for AD web applications and services. It can also provide SSO access to cloud applications like Microsoft Office 365. Um, this means you can also create trust relationships between other Microsoft AD uh, environments as well. This is now available in US East, North Virginia, US East, Ohio, US West Oregon, Canada Central, Asia Pacific Seoul, Asia Pacific Singapore, Asia Pacific Sydney, Asia Pacific Tokyo, EU Frankfurt, EU Ireland, EU London, and South America Sao Paulo, which is nice for our small to medium business customers. Now, if you're a mobile developer, you'll know that one of the joys of mobile development is testing on all the different devices that you have lined up on your desk. Uh, Of course, you can't get access to every single device in the world, so Amazon Device Farm makes it easy to test large sets of different hardware and software combinations, carrier combinations, Wi-Fi, LTE, all that good stuff. So Amazon Device Farm has now launched direct device access for private devices. Basically, what this means is that a developer can use individual devices in their private test set as if they were directly connected to their local machine via USB. So this means you can test against a huge array of devices just like it was on your own desk, but without having to buy, maintain, and set up that device. So that's pretty nifty if you're in that world. 
another method of testing. And remember, test, test, test. It's always a good thing to test. Now, it's interesting as these new services come along and serve customer needs, some of the old needs don't go away. And one of the uh, oldest services that I can remember is Amazon SES, the simple email service, which is great for sending out emails to customers, be they transactional emails or marketing emails or other cool stuff at scale. Um, a new feature available now is email templates for sending personalized email. And a lot of listeners have been asking for that one and it is now available. So you can now create temp- email templates, which you can use to send personalized emails to your customers. So there are two new API operations, send templated email and send bulk templated email. Cunningly named to be pretty obvious what they do. It's now available in the regions that uh, SES is available in, which is US West Oregon and US East North Virginia and EU Ireland. But remember, you can use the SES endpoint no matter where you are because it really is just an API to drive the sending of email versus the processing of anything as well. So that's a nice update there. So let's check in. Where are we at? We're coming up to probably about the 25-minute mark so far. How's everyone traveling? Uh, many of you have already got to your... Uh, destination of your commute where you listen to this so apologies that it's so long but you know what there's lots of good stuff to go through and i want to make sure i get you covered for everything so what else can i talk about we have some cool things in cloudwatch dashboards you can now bookmark your favorite cloudwatch dashboards for quicker access Uh, so there's now new favorites section in the sidebar which means it's easy for you to see what's important to you and one that i'm really excited about is you can now hide your cloudwatch alarms that you use for auto scaling actions Um, these often sit to one side, uh, getting in the way sometimes of what you're trying to visualize. Now with a single click, you can hide all your auto scaling alarms from being displayed in the CloudWatch console. Um, it also keeps a alarm counter in the sidebar that shows the number of alarms in each state that will reflect your selection. Uh, now the good thing is that the hidden alarms keep operating. So they keep performing the auto scaling actions as before, but it just hides the clutter a little bit, which is kind of nice. Now, no podcast uh, would be complete without talking about price reductions, and there is some new pricing for our qualified education users for Amazon AppStream 2.0. So just a reminder, Amazon AppStream 2.0 is a fully managed secure application streaming service that lets you stream your desktop applications to any computer running a web browser. So as you can understand, uh, students uh, from K-12, to primary and higher education, uh, can really benefit from this type of technology to allow them to get access to what they need. You know, Macs, Chromebooks, other computers can give them access to lots of different things like uh, Adobe Photoshop, MATLAB, uh, CS EduPack, uh, SolidWorks, a whole bunch of cool stuff. So the nice news is is that uh, the price uh, has dropped 89%. So it's gone from $4.19 per user per month to $0.44 cents per user per month for qualified education users. So have a look at the qualifying requirements and you can uh, contact us to get access to that special pricing if you're in the education realm. Price drop is always a nice thing to talk about, isn't it? Now you'll recall earlier in the podcast, I mentioned the new P3 instances with the new NVIDIA Volta GPUs. It feels like a long time ago that we spoke about that, doesn't it? Um, the good thing is that the Apache MXNet uh, release is now at version 0.1.2. And we now have support for those Volta GPUs. So you can dramatically reduce training time for neural networks. We also have now got support for sparse tensors, which enable users to train a model with sparse matrices in a storage and compute efficient fashion uh, if you haven't seen the trend here it's all about making things process quicker and get those models processed faster uh, the combination of apache mxnet the newest version with the new p3 instances is pretty exciting in terms of getting your answers very very fast 
Now, I spent a lot of time earlier in the podcast talking about uh, Aurora and some of the cool things happening there. I didn't want our Amazon RDS for SQL Server listeners to miss out. So now you can reconfigure storage type on Snapshot Restore. That means you can change the volume type and the provision IOPS upon Snapshot Restore. So this means you can have completely different storage from the source. So this is useful when you're creating uh, new versions of the database to use in a development environment, or you might want to try a uh, reconfiguration of storage to see if it has a performance implication. You can now do this on Restore with SQL Server. Some really important security updates that have taken place for customers who use the Simple Storage Service, our old friend S3. There are five new encryption and security features that I want to make you aware of. There's a great blog post that uh, that Jeff Barr has written about this that uh, I think is worth reading in full, but I'm going to give you the summary version. So there are five new features. The first is default encryption. So you can now mandate that all objects in a bucket must be stored in encrypted form without having to construct a bucket policy that rejects objects that are not encrypted. So you can have default encryption. Uh, There are now permission checks. The S3 console now displays a prominent indicator next to each S3 bucket that is publicly accessible. In fact, I noticed it on my console just the other day. um, A few buckets that were intended to be public uh, show up really, really clearly. There's no guesswork or trying to figure out. So if you have S3 buckets, it's probably worth just hopping into the console and having a quick look. Uh, Cross-region replication ACL overwrite is the next feature. So when you replicate objects across AWS accounts, you can now specify that the object gets a new ACL that gives full access to the destination account. You also now have cross-region replication with KMS. So you can replicate objects that are encrypted with keys that are managed with the AWS key management server. So this is really cool to to be replicating uh, encrypted content across regions, which... uh, Sounds easier than it is when you get to the nuts and bolts of encryption, etc. There is now also a detailed inventory report. The S3 inventory report now includes the encryption status of each object, and the report itself can also be encrypted. So it's encryption all the way down, my friends. Some really important security uh, updates there. Make sure you take advantage of them. Make sure you go through and ensure that your S3 buckets are secured in a way appropriate to the business and technical use of those buckets. Now let's flip our attention back to the world of containers and the Amazon ECS team have been busy. Uh, They've released the CLI version 1.0. This is a developer tool that's built to make it easy to run applications with Amazon ECS. Uh, This CLI lets you create and manage Amazon ECS clusters and tasks with less commands than uh, you might have had to previously um, using a terminal interface. Now, in the past, you could only configure one set of clusters of credentials. It was relatively limited. Now, the new version allows you to store multiple cluster and credential configurations and lets you easily switch between different cluster and and credential configurations. You can specify additional ECS task definition parameters and the CLI is available for Linux, Mac and Windows environments. So get your hands on that. A few other little changes that have been made. There is now uh, Amazon ECS support for Docker device and init flags in container task definitions. So if you need those, you now have them. Also, Amazon ECS now allows containers to directly access environmental metadata. So this means you can get access to things like the Docker container, the Docker image name and ID, its uh, network configuration, port mapping, as well as the ECS tasks and container instance Amazon resource name or ARN. So this makes it easier to create applications that are more environment aware and lets them self-register in service discovery and configuration management type solutions. Now we have a service that is expanding globally rapidly and this is called Amazon Polly. And Amazon Polly is the ability to do text to speech. 
Uh, in fact, I suspect that Polly is seeking to replace me, your loyal podcast host, um, and she'll probably do a better job than I do anyway. But it is now available in 14 AWS regions. Uh, there are 52 voices and 25 languages, which is pretty nice. In fact, uh, some of the new languages include Korean and there's a new Indian English voice as well. Um, so you can listen to all these different voices. They all have really nice names, so you can sort of name the voice you're using and, and talk about it in that context as well. Um, so you can access this in Asia-Pacific Mumbai, Asia-Pacific Seoul, Asia-Pacific Singapore, Asia-Pacific Sydney, Asia-Pacific Tokyo, Canada Central, EU Frankfurt, EU Ireland, EU London, South America, Sao Paulo, US East, North Virginia, US East, Ohio, US West, North California, and US West, Oregon. Um, have a bit of a play and check it out. And whilst the Poly team have been busy expanding the service to be closer to more of our customers, they've also added a new really interesting feature that I think is particularly important. And you can now modify the timber of Amazon Poly Voices with a new vocal tracked SSML feature. Now, Speech Synthesis Markup Language, or SSML, it allows you as a developer to modify uh, many characteristics of the speech patterns, which is important because our speech patterns have nuance and tone and depth, and uh, you want your text-to-speech voice to also exhibit that. One of the things you can now do is introduce timbre. Now, timbre, as in T-I-M-B-R-E, uh, is the perceived color or quality of a sound. It's independent from pitch or loudness. It's often used in music. Um, for example, the difference between a brass instrument and a string instrument, or the subtle difference between a viola and a violin. And this makes a big difference in how you hear the particular vocal uh, words and how you can interpret them very, very easily. So by being able to have access to this particular tag, you can do a lot of very interesting things with how the information you're being presented. Oh, sorry. See, I could use some SSML tags myself, couldn't I? You can do some very interesting things with how you convey information in a text-to-speech format, moving much more away from that kind of robotic, non-contextual sense into something that's far more contextual and has far more uh, ability to have meaning to the person hearing it. And if I continue speaking this way, I'll probably get replaced by Polly pretty soon, won't I? Now, you've persevered so far with me, so I've got to reward you with some good stuff. And one of the good stuff uh, announcements that's taken place recently is the new Direct Connect gateway. And this is really exciting for customers who use Direct Connect and who have lots of uh, VPCs as well. You can now use the Direct Connect gateway to establish connectivity that spans virtual private clouds across multiple AWS regions. So now you don't have to have multiple BGP sessions for each VPC. Now, what this does is dramatically reduces your admin workload and the load on your network devices. It also allows you to connect to any of the participating VPCs from any direct connect location. So this also reduces your cost if you're using AWS services on a cross-region basis. Now, there's a really cool diagram of this whole thing in Jeff Barr's blog. But essentially, the things you need to remember is that the VPCs that reference a particular direct connect gateway must have an I have IP address ranges that don't overlap. Um, today, the VPCs have to be all in the same AWS account, but we plan to make this more flexible in the future. The other cool thing is that each gateway is a global object that exists across all of the public AWS regions. This means that all communication between the regions via the gateways takes place across the AWS network backbone. This makes for far more simple and performant network connectivity. 
and is a really important change and uh, thing, if you like, or capability that's available to our customers. And we're pretty excited about it. And the other huge piece of networking news is the availability of AWS Private Link for AWS services. These services include Kinesis, Service Catalog, EC2 Systems Manager, Amazon EC2 APIs, and ELB APIs in your VPC. So what is AWS Private Link? It's basically the newest generation of VPC endpoints, which is designed for customers to access AWS services in a highly available and scalable manner while keeping all the traffic within the AWS network. More services are going to come to this. Uh, things like key management service and Amazon CloudWatch are very much uh, front and center. Now, what this means is that the traffic that you are sending to these endpoints remains inside your VPC. Now, this is relevant for customers who have to have very specific routing rules and to dictate where things actually flow. Um, so it's a big deal. And I think we'll do a special podcast on this in the future to dive into details of it. All you need to know at the moment is it is available today in all AWS region, commercial, AWS commercial regions except for uh, China, Beijing region. And pricing starts at one cent per hour plus a data processing charge at one cent per gig. Data transfer between availability zones or between your endpoint or your premises via Direct Connect will also have its usual charges applied. So check that out. But this is a really big deal and we'll do a deep dive in the future. Now, another sort of, I guess, networking change, API change, uh, there's many ways you can interpret this one, but I'm just going to call it as useful and more flexible than ever before. And this is that the Amazon API Gateway now supports regional API endpoints. So you can now choose from two types of API endpoints when you're creating your REST APIs and custom domains with the API Gateway. A regional API endpoint is a new type of endpoint that's accessed from the same AWS region in which your REST API is deployed. So this can help you reduce request latency when API requests originate from the same region as your REST API. You can also choose to associate your own Amazon CloudFront distribution with the regional API endpoint. Now, the second type of API endpoint is probably the one you're most familiar with, which is the edge-optimized API. Edge-optimized APIs are endpoints that are accessed through a CloudFront distribution that is created and managed by the API gateway. So previously, that was the default option. Now you can choose between both kinds, which solve for different problems. Uh, you may not need to make any change because your API gateway is doing just fine for you. Or you may choose to use the new regional API endpoint model. You're not compelled to make a change. It's simply a new option available to you. So what else can I tell you about? Well, what about this one? Um, Amazon Kinesis Analytics is a pretty powerful tool for allowing you to analyze streaming data in real time. It allows you to detect anomalies in streaming data in real time as well. So there are new features available to make this a bit easier to figure out what's going on. Um, the first uh, thing that's taking place is the use of random cut forest algorithm to analyze one or more numeric fields and to create scores for you and to automatically detect what's going on with your anomaly detection. Kinesis Analytics now provides real-time explanations of the anomaly scores using attribution and directionality. So attribution means it can tell you which of the input fields are contributing to the overall score. And directionality provides information about the trends, such as dips and spikes in each field. So this makes it really easy to understand why weird stuff is being detected when you're using analytics. Now, I think we should wrap up with a few little bits and bobs that make life easier, more secure, or just better. Um, and I'm going to barrel through these real quick. So the first one is Amazon Elasticash for Redis now supports in-transit and at-rest encryption. So if you have encryption requirements for your 
in-memory type database applications, you can now activate that very, very, very easily. You can now also monitor your Amazon Redshift, Amazon RDS, and Amazon Elastocache reservations using AWS Cost Explorer's RI Utilization Report. So the RI Utilization Report, Reserved Instances, lets you see where cost is being allocated against reservations that you've made. You can now extend this to reservations that relate to Elastocache and RDS as well. So nice bit of update from a visual perspective. Another nifty thing is that Spotfleet can now auto-attach instances to your load balances and scale down to a zero-target capacity. Now, this is nice because in the past, people would typically uh, manually, or when I say manually, they'd write some code to connect Spotfleet instances to the uh, ELB of their choice. Um, the fleet can now do it automatically and register for you. Uh, it also allows you to have zero instance spot fleets. So you can now modify the target capacity of a spot fleet down to zero. This means you can maintain a single spot fleet even if there appears we don't actually require any instances at all. In the past, you had to have one. Now you don't have to have any, which is nice. So nice little couple of changes there as well. And the final change to talk about is something related to AWS Step Functions. Now, AWS Step Functions is essentially the ability to create really complex and sophisticated state machines in a highly available fashion. Now, guess what? You can update your state machine. So you can now easily change your state machine definition and your configuration. Previously, if you wanted to make a change, you had to change the name, which made the ARN changed and a whole bunch of other stuff changed that you may not want to. Now you can just use the new Step Functions API call update state machine to make changes on your configuration and keep the same name without deleting it first. So this makes it very easy to modify, iterate on your applications. Now, the good thing is you retain the history of all state machine executions for the full 90-day retention period, including executions that started before your update. So you keep your history for a long period of time. So I'm really excited about this, this you know, small but important improvement to the service. It's a, a great credit to the AWS Step Functions team, and I know they're really excited to get this out for customers who wanted this information. We are at the end. We've covered a lot today. And guess what, everyone? The reason why this podcast was so long and had so much in it is because I'm leading up for reInvent, our user conference that's coming up. This year, I will not be in Las Vegas, so my voice should be in much better shape. I'm taking a year off reInvent this year and enjoying it remotely, uh, like many of you will be. But what I will be doing is focusing on trying to produce those uh, day-by-day recaps of reInvent to give you all the top things that were announced, things that took place, uh, any interesting observations. I've also got uh, lots of my team over there, so they'll be giving me some real-time feedback as well that I can feed in. So keep an eye out for that special series that'll be coming up. Thank you again so much for listening. I know it's been a big episode this uh, this week. As ever, we do love to get your feedback at podcast at amazon.com. And as always, keep on building.